Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 8. We are just about finished with the 8th chapter of John, but it's a lengthy chapter. We're making our way through there. I'm not... uh, I'm not sure how to say this, but when I was a kid, boy, I used to get in trouble a lot. Scotty, do you remember any of those times that I used to get in trouble? <laughs> See there? that's Scotty's my cousin, and he's known me a long time. But often when I would get in trouble, they would say, well, who's your dad? Who is your father? And boy, when I heard those words, I knew that I was going to be in some kind of trouble because they were wanting to tell my dad how bad of a boy I had been. And and I knew that trouble was going to be coming along with that in the form of a leather belt. And it, and it wouldn't be long I'd be facing that discipline. And And if they didn't already know who my father was, they would soon find out. And I would soon be facing what was to come. Tonight we're looking at a passage out of, out of John chapter 8 verses 38 through 47 and that really asks this question, who is your father? You need to know who your father is tonight. While all, all most of us should know who our fathers are, the question that is asked tonight is who is your spiritual father? Is it God the father or is it the devil? There's only two spiritual fathers in this world that we live in. It's God the Father, and it is the devil. When it comes to your spiritual father, there are only two possible, you know, there's only two possibilities. Only two. There's no in-between. There's no nothing else. There, we don't have to, we don't have to wander this earth very long living outside of those outside of those two choices to know that there's really only two choices to make. Our passage is clear on this point tonight and Jesus says that. So let's read from John chapter 8 verse starting in verse 38 and it says, "I know that you are Abraham's descendants." So now this goes back to what what they had said that they were descended from Abraham. They were Abraham's children and and they said They had never been in bondage. They told a lie because they had been in bondage many times in bondage, more than once, at least seven times through Scripture we find that they were in bondage. But he goes on to says, But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father." They answered him and, and, and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And then he said to him, we were not born. This, this is an interesting little passage right in here, this this verse right here. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. They were taking a stab at Jesus, if you didn't know, if you didn't realize what that little verse meant. They, they were taking a stab at Jesus because how was he conceived? How was he born? 
Well, they didn't believe how he was born. They didn't believe it was a miraculous virgin birth. They believed it was a fornication, and that's why that little, little piece is right in there. And it says that, that we have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceed forth, and I come from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my words. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Anything that comes from the devil, the Bible tells us right here in this passage, is a lie. Anything that comes from the devil is a lie. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not understand the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. He is the father of lies. The father of lies. Has anybody ever told a lie in here? Anybody ever told a lie in here? Where did it come from? What does the Bible say right here? Where did it come from? It come from the devil. That's the only place it can come from. There's no other thing between God and the devil. It's either the devil or God. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Listen to that very carefully. He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So we have this conversation between Jesus and the Jews. Jesus acknowledges that, that he knows they are descendants. Yes, you are descendants of, a, of Abraham. He acknowledges that, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Two distinct fathers here. One is God the father. The other is the devil. One father is capitalized. The other is not. If you read your text right there, you'll see there is one that's capitalized because there's one that stands above the other. Just a small side note here that I want to say, proper grammar, punctuation, we see in, in the scriptures properly placed in the word so that we understand who and what is being said in the Bible. So, so we understand the punctuation. So observe it and understand that anytime you see Father, Lord, my, me, him, and it's capitalized, it's talking about God the Father, or it's talking about Jesus, or it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we need to pay attention to those. And when you see those small capitalized Fs and things in there, you need to, make, you need to know that it's probably not talking about God, but a father or could be anything thing that represents a father. Here, it actually represents the devil. So... That helps us understand it. And there's a big difference between the two fathers in our passage tonight. The last time we studied John, we found that, that the Jews had lied. And it didn't stop there. We find yet them telling him another lie. And we know this because Jesus says so. And they answered him and they said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. 
but now you seek to kill me. Amen. See, there's me, it's capitalized, and there's man, it's capitalized, and it's all pointing to Jesus who told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. They were not doing the works of Abraham. So that leads us to ask, what just exactly are the works of Abraham? So we need to go back into the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to look and see what this work was. 1 through 4, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you a great name so that you will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you and I will dishonor and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The first thing that God told Abraham to do was to go. Just go, Abraham. So Abraham went, and as the Lord told him, he obeyed. From the very start of the story of Abraham, there's emphasis that obeying God is required in order to have a saving relationship with him. How did he obey? God said to go, and Abraham went. Pretty simple, isn't it? It's God did not tell him where he was going. Didn't tell him. He didn't. He said I only that he was going to lead him. That's all that God I, said. Just go, and I'm going to lead you. This is the first time that Abraham ever even heard of a God. Probably, maybe he heard from, heard it heard it from old Job, because Abraham and Job were in about the same time period there. So he may have he may have knew old Job, and he may have heard about God through Job and how how honorable God was, and that may be why he listened that day. But when God speaks to your heart, you listen and you obey what He says. So this is what's going on right here. God did not tell him where he was going, only that he needed to go, that he would lead him, and he would make him a great nation, that he would bless him, and he would make his name great. Now, what kind of man in his right mind would pass up an offer like that? What kind of man in his right mind would pass up an offer like that? That same offer, that same offer he gives to you tonight. He gives the same offer to you. If you will just listen to me, if you will just obey me, if you will just follow me, I will lead you to a land beyond imagine. That's what God tells us tonight. He says God calls us to go, and all we have to do is follow him. And when we follow him, he will give us all those blessings that we need to accomplish his work. Amen? All we have to do is what? Obey. Obey. Why is it on our pulpit? Why is it up here? Because this is the most important word in probably all of Scripture. Because it started right here with a man called Abram. God's getting ready to change his name to Abraham, but you just think about it. Just as God did with Abraham, he's calling his followers of Christ to leave their former way of life, to pick up their crosses, and to follow him wherever that path may lead. Whatever that path, we don't know where God wants to lead us until we start following him. You want to know what God's will is for you? Well, start following Jesus first. 
Start abiding in his word and following him, and he will lead you where he wants you to go. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We, we ask and we ask and we ask, well, what's God's will for my life? And we ask and we ask and we ask. I don't know what God's will for my life is. Would, would, can you tell me what God's will for my life is? Well, God's will for your life is to obey him and follow him. And when you do that, he will lead you where he needs you to go. But until you surrender and follow Jesus, you will never know what God's will for your life is. It will never happen. I promise you that. So we keep on going down through here. And we find out that he's leading him on a journey. He's leading him to a land. And we know that that land, one of these days, is going to be called the promised land. He didn't know, but he follows. He, he went. And guess what? Guess where our journey ends? It ends in a better country, just as it did for Abraham. It ends in a place called heaven. So why wouldn't we want to follow Jesus to heaven? Because that's where the path leads. And if we just follow him, that's where we'll go. But if you're not following Jesus, guess where the path goes? It goes to hell, not to heaven. God knew and, but, it, and you, know, it, you know, it all starts with, with, with this trusting and obeying God. Trusting and obeying God. The sin of rebellion has broken our relationship with God. God wanted to restore that with mankind. So he desperately, we desperately need that relationship back. God don't need us. God wants us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. So God's looking for a person who would, who would serve him and serve his purpose. God wanted a man who, who he knew that would completely trust him. And in Genesis 18, 19, we find that that man that God wanted is Abraham. But it's the same for us. God wants you. He wants you to serve him. And in Genesis 18, 19, it says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteous and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Well, what has God promised you tonight if you believe and follow him? Because we know that believing is not just enough because the Bible says believe and repent, turn from your ways and follow him. That's what the Bible tells us to do. A lot of people get that confused and mixed up. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. What are the works of Abraham? To trust and obey God. We, we make it a lot harder, don't we? As Christians, we try to make it's this. It's a complicated. Oh, it's this complicated thing that I must do to 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 be a Christian. What are our works if we are to be children of God? What are our works if we are to be children of God? We are to trust and obey. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. There's always, uh, there is, is, there is, and there always will be clear evidence of a true child of God, and it is seen in one's attitude of love towards Jesus. Jesus said, "If you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments." What is that? That's obedience, right? That's us being obedient to God. If we're going to be if we're going to trust him with our life and be obedient to him, we should have this great love for Jesus. 
We should have a great love for Jesus. And that should reflect and show in our work. It should show in our, our obedience should be, that's the light, our obedience, the light, doing things that are what we're supposed to be doing. How many times have, have we already heard it through God's gospel here that Jesus said, if you know the Father, you would know me. And if you love the Father, you'd love me also. We have that all the way through there. How many times do we often prove that we don't love God by our actions? How many times do we do that during one day? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll obey me. You'll obey me. And I heard a, I heard a, I preached a sermon here a while back on, on, on the Sabbath. And I heard, and I heard another pastor bring up a pretty good point. Because Jesus says this right here, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, Sabbath's one of his commandments, isn't it? Then I also heard him say, well, it's the devil who will change the time and the place. That makes you think, well, the Sabbath probably should still be on Saturday. Maybe we should keep it on Saturday. Maybe that should be our day of rest. Well, that's the Jewish day of rest, and you should probably keep it if you're convicted to keep it. The Bible says here, keep my, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Wasn't that one of his commandments? It is, isn't it? Hmm. So how many times do we often prove we don't love God by our actions? Many times. But guess what? He still wants a relationship with you. No matter how much you've messed up, no matter how much you've done wrong, he wants that relationship with you. That's what grace is, right? That's what grace is. It's just God's undeserved favor. It's, it's something that can't be earned. There is nothing you can do to earn God's grace. He wants to give that to you freely. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? Even though we don't deserve God's love, guess what? He gives it to us as a free gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And we get that gift, but what do we have to do in return? We've got to obey. Why? Because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will obey me. You will obey what I tell you to do. Well, guess what? He's told us what to do. All we got to do is what? Abide in his word, right? We know from Hebrews 11.8, it says, by, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. Not knowing where he was going is what the scripture says. I ain't got a clue, but I'm going to go. So if you want to know what God's will in your life is, what do you do? You need to follow Jesus, and he will lead you to the place that he wants you. And when you do that, you will be obeying what he has told you. By faith, Abraham went, and he was tested. He offered up his son Isaac, and he had received that promise that was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's, that's Hebrews eleven seventeen and 18. By faith, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. Perfect picture of God and Jesus right there. How obedient do you have to be to offer up your son? Because how many times have we heard it from the pulpit? Boy, if it was my son, I wouldn't offer him up. But if we were being obedient to God, 
we would offer our son up to him. That's where trust comes in, isn't it? Because if you don't trust, how can you obey? Because to offer your only son up is putting a lot of trust in God, that God's going to deliver your son. You read that story of Abraham, and you see that. You see that as he walked up that mountain, I couldn't imagine how easy the steps were as Abraham walked up to that place where they would build that altar, and he would lay his son. And I couldn't imagine Isaac laying there. I would be confused. What in the world's going on, Dad? What's this? And he, and he kept saying, God will provide. God will provide. And he believed. He trusted in the Lord. What, what is going on in your life right now that you're not trusting Jesus with? What is it? There's, there's, there's something in all of our lives that we're not giving to Jesus and saying, yes, I'm going to trust you to deliver. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Before they got thrown in the fire, what would they say? It don't matter. You can throw us in there. We're not going to worship you. We're going to stick to what we know. We're going to worship our God because he will deliver us no matter what. If you throw us in and we burn up, he will deliver us. If you throw us in and we don't burn up, he's going to deliver us. You want, to, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? They may have seen Jesus in there walking around and go, well, hey, wait a minute, there's Jesus, let's go in there. Let's follow Jesus. So they may have walked right in there and got right in the middle of that fire with Shadrach, Meshach, or with, with Jesus right in the middle of that because they knew, they trusted that God was going to deliver them. So what are you not trusting Jesus with tonight? What's in your life that you're not trusting him with? Abraham's faith resulted in obedience. His faith in Jesus, his trust in Jesus resulted in obedience. In, in, in our, he is our best example of what saving truth really looks like in scriptures. If you really want to know what saving truth looks like, you follow Jesus where he tells you to go. You go, don't ask questions, and when you get there, do what you're supposed to do. And he's going to bless you through it. Abraham didn't have to kill his son, did he? No. He knew that God would provide. God, uh, he, he, he had that saving, he, he had that saving faith and it pleased God. And, and it allows a person to have that kind of great relationship with Jesus and with God. You know, there's, there's times through the Bible where, where Jesus goes off to himself and he prays to God. Why would he have to pray to God? He was God. Because he had a relationship with his father, and he loved his father. And he just wanted to talk to his father because he loved him. Do you love Jesus tonight? Where, where, where's your faith level at tonight? Is it, is it down here on the floor, or is it up here at the ceiling? Because it makes a difference where your faith is how well your obedience is. Abraham's faith led to his obedience, and his obedience led to blessing. And if you don't believe that God can do that in your life, then you're, you're believing in the wrong God. Because this, this is the God of Abraham is my God, and he does great and mighty things. He delivers those 
who he loves. According to the Bible, anyone who claims to believe in Jesus as Savior but refuses to obey him as Lord and the leader and authority in their life is is not demonstrating true saving faith. Do I need to say that again? Anyone who believes in Jesus as Savior but refuses to obey him as leader and the authority in your life, you are not demonstrating true saving faith. John three thirty six tells us this right here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. That's some, that's some devastating words if you just believe in Jesus in here tonight. If you just believe in who Jesus is, if you just believe that there is a Jesus, you believe that there's a God, and you believe that you prayed a prayer one time, but you've not been obedient to Jesus and what he's asking you to do, or obedient to God and what he's asking you to do, then there is a problem with your salvation. There's a problem with your salvation. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Boy, that's some tough words tonight. This is some stuff that will step on your toes and hurt them a little bit. And it goes on to say, but the wrath of God remains upon them. Mm. The wrath of God is going to be poured out in a place called hell one day. To not obey means to disregard and to disobey, to not submit to. When it says whoever believes, that means we should have an eager acceptance of who Jesus is, a strong obedience to Jesus, and an active submission to Jesus. For John's, uh, the, the words he says, unbelief, to not obey the Son, faith and obedience are really interchangeable words there. And they each, they can be exchanged with each other because they both have to do with actively Trusting and following Jesus. Actively trusting and following Jesus. Those who are, who are truly saved will submit to, to, they will submit fully to God. Those who are truly saved will submit fully to God by living up to his standards, which would make you be Christ-like. They make you be just like Christ. Well, and that's tough to live. That's tough to live. I'm not saying that it's easy to do. That's tough to live. But with trust, obedience gets easier. With faith, obedience gets easier. If your faith level down here, your obedience level is not going to be up here. It's going to be down there with your faith level. If your faith level is up here, then your obedience level is going to be up here as well. When we do anything that is contrary to, to what meets his standards, that's the Christ standard, we are just lying to ourselves about our faith in Jesus Christ. Just like the father of lies will tell you, oh, yeah, you're saved. You're saved. You're saved. You're going to church. You're saved. You've been baptized. You're saved. When we do anything that's contrary to what meets his standards, then we are just lying to herself about our faith in Jesus. Spiritual salvation comes as a free gift, yes, to those who will receive Christ. But once you accept that, that doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we want to do. We follow Christ's example. We let him be the Lord of our life. We let him be the Lord of our life. And we let him live 
our life, his life through us. And through that, we live our lives out. That's being Christ-like. Flip over to Psalms 112. And I'll, uh, I'm about, I'm getting close to being done here. But flip over to Psalms 112, if you would. I'm going to read it right out of this, right out of my Bible here, and it's the ESV version. But the righteous will never be moved. If you've seen my post this week, I, I was, this weekend I was in, in Illinois, and we were in Springfield, Illinois, right there in Springfield, Illinois, is a cemetery. And in that cemetery is where President Abraham Lincoln's buried. And we went to that memorial, and we looked at that memorial. And, and I had just got through studying about Abraham, the, the, our, the, our father. He, he's, he's, our, he's, he's Father Abraham to, to, to those who believe in Jesus. Those who believe, uh, according to our scripture tonight, are, are the descendants of Abraham. So he's our father, you know, and, and Abraham Lincoln was kind of, he's kind of one of our fathers. And they got this, this huge monument that's built, and, 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 and uh, it's a big old spire that goes up, kind of looks like the Washington Monument. And then there's these figurines all around it. But you go inside into the foyer there, before you walk around and go to the tomb, there's a ceiling in there. It kind of looks funny, and you're looking up at that ceiling, and that guy will tell you, well, that's palladium. Well, palladium's one of the one of the most precious metals there that we have in the world. And the ceiling's made of palladium. And then you go, uh, and then you go around and you walk back there where the tomb's at, and he's buried 10 foot deep underneath this big old slab, and, and then on the ceiling up there, it's gold. The ceiling's made of gold. Pretty important man, wouldn't you say? One of, probably, I, I put in that deal, probably he was the, the greatest president we've ever had according to what he'd done, according to his work. And I got this wondering, was, was he saved? Was he saved? It's, a, it's up for debate. You, you look and you read it, it's up for debate. Some people say he was, and some. one man said he didn't join the church, so he wasn't saved. And I'm like, boy, that guy's not saved either. Because you can't join a church and be saved, folks. You cannot join a church. And that's, you know... That's what happens in this Amish community over here. People go to join a church because that's what they believe. And they believe that sometimes that saves them. That's not right. Joining a church does not save you. Believing in Jesus, repenting of your sins, and turning your life around is what saves you. That's the only thing that saves you. Nothing else saves you. Baptism don't save you. Going to church don't save you. Joining a church sure don't save you. Because most of our church looks like social clubs anyway. Psalms 112 says this right here. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commands, and his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generations of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and the riches are in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Light dawns in the darkness. Amen? Light dawns in the darkness. There's only two sides of this story. It's either light or darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and, and he is righteous. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends and conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Why? Because he's righteous. He is not afraid of the bad news, and his heart and firm and trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. One of these days we're going to defeat this old world and we're going to be risen to a new life. And when we're risen into that new life, we're going to be able to look upon our enemies 
And all those times you said, boy, that guy's got it good and he ain't, he ain't worth nothing. Why has he got it so much better than me? Why does he got all the cars and the trucks and the boats and the, and the best fishing stuff? And I'm picking on Robert a little bit right there. But one of these days you're going to be able to look on all that and realize, wow, I'm glad I chose this side of things. He has distributed freely and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. And he gnashes his teeth and he melts away. The desires of the wicked will perish. Well, I said that to tell you that only the righteous will live forever. Only those who believe in Jesus repent of their sins. Those are are going to be the guys that live forever. I don't know if Abraham Lincoln was saved or not. God does. God, I don't know. I don't know. Looking out across this crowd, I I believe that most of you are saved because I can see what you're doing in your lives. But I don't know everybody's heart in here. But God does. You know, tonight we're getting ready to baptize Ken and Jamie. You pro- some of y'all probably didn't know that. And and you're saying, well, I wonder why we're baptizing them tonight. Well, they got saved just a couple weeks ago. Because I'm going to tell you something. Ken realized that he was lying to himself. Something I said in a Sunday school class brought him to his knees one Sunday morning, and he realized that he had been lying to himself the whole time, and his relationship with Jesus was just a lie because he believed in Jesus, but he wasn't doing what Jesus wanted him to do. He was, doing the, he was still doing the opposite and realized he hadn't believed in Jesus, repented of his sin, and turned away from those sins. He was going through the motions as... as, as that's what happens all the time in churches. It happens all the time. Uh, people use going to church or being good as their standard of salvation. The standard of salvation is being like Christ. If you want to measure your salvation tonight, you need to ask yourself, am I like Christ? Because if you're meeting that standard, or you're trying to meet that standard, you're not doing this worldly stuff. You're obeying and you're trying to be like Christ. That's God's standard. That's not my standard. It's, it's God's standard. It's here in His Word. It tells us that's the standard. But now, for Him, this is when the, this is when the serious work as a Christian begins. Because He's given His life to Christ. He's going to profess it in, in the waters of baptism tonight. But the work begins now. He has to work. He says to work out your salvation. That means you, you need to do some work for God. You need to work to be like Christ because I see what Christ has done. I've read what he's done. And to live up to that standard requires a lot of effort, a lot of work from me, a lot of work from each of us. And as a church, we have to come alongside both Ken and and Jamie, and we have to be uh, their accountability partners. We have to, to help them serve the Lord as Christians. And sometimes this is where the church really fails, as is in discipleship, and mentorship and accountability. We miss that. We, we teach Sunday school classes, but we don't act out the Sunday school lessons most of the time. We have to be disciplers. We have to be discipled. We've got to be accountable. We've got to be accountability buddies too. 
we got to hold each other accountable. The church has to do this with each and every person that we bring to Christ. We need to be more accountable to them. We need to be more disciplers to them. We need to disciple them more. We need to help them walk in their faith and obedience. So who are you walking with in faith, obedience, discipleship, and accountability? If there's no one in your lives, then you're not living out what Christ did. Because Christ, and he told us, go make disciples. That's bring them to Jesus Teach them about Jesus because he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have taught you. Well, if you've been studying this Bible any, or you've been in any Sunday school class here in this church, you've probably been taught what you're supposed to do. That's go make disciples because we'll go make more disciples. Let's help each other, hold each other accountable. And we come to this last phrase or one of the phrases that jesus says here in the scripture you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do they are uh, only there's only two sides to a coin and this coin that we're looking at tonight only has two sides to it it's either god or it's the devil this world has two sides to it it's either good or evil there is no riding the fence you're either all in or you're all out there's no well i'm i'm going to go to church this sunday because i need to check my box no you're either all in or you're all out if you come to church and you're checking boxes good for you you're out that's going to be bad for you at the end you need to be all in because you're all out right now you're either walking in the light or you're walking in darkness there's, there's only two sides of the coin, guys. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. There's no middle ground here. There's one decision to make. It's either to accept Christ or to reject Christ. One leads to heaven. The other leads to hell. Accepting Christ means accepting that the fact that you've got to trust and obey and follow him. Being like him now we know about the iceberg we know about the lifeboat we know about the wreckage that's two miles underneath the sea we know about the blockbuster movie we know about the all the tv specials that we've seen on it and and we probably won't uh be hearing about the list though uh not the first class not the second class not the third class not the all the famous people that was on the list or 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 all the things that were on that boat that went down, but two lists emerged from when the Titanic sank. And maybe you've seen this, or maybe you've heard about this before. It wasn't a list of the famous people or anybody like that. It wasn't who was in first class, third class, lower class, poor class, who was, who was in the builds of the boat. It was none of that. turns out it'd be the only two lists that would even matter. They appeared on a large board outside of the Liverpool office there of the White Star Lines. And that, that dark days that followed that disaster, there were, uh, there were hundreds of relatives that would line up and they would look at that board each and every day uh, over the, the next several weeks to see who was on the, the list that were up there. And it was, uh, it was this right here. On one board, printed in large letters, were the words, known to be saved. And on the other board, known to be lost. The Bible shows us that, that everyone we know, 
Everyone we know, everyone that's on this planet is either saved or they're lost. That's the only two conditions of men that a Christian should be concerned about. If they're saved or if they're lost. If they're lost, you try to do everything you can to get them saved. And in doing that, you'll feed them, you'll clothe them, you'll do everything else necessary to help them get on their way. In, in God's eyes, that is, he puts it this way in John 1, 5. He says, in verses 11, 12, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. His son's name's Jesus, if you did not know that. He that has the son has life. And he that does not have the son does not have life. You're either lost or you're saved. This world out there is either lost or it's saved. It's the only way that we can look at man living on this world. As a Christian, you need to look around you and ask yourself, are they lost or are they saved? And then you need to ask them, hey, do you know Jesus? Tonight, what list is your name on? What list will your name be found on? Are you known as lost? If you're saved, your name is actually in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you're not, your name will be removed, blotted out, is what the Scriptures say, out of that book. Do you know if you're saved tonight? Do you know if you're lost tonight? Maybe the question that we really should be asking is, do you realize that you're lost? Do you even know what lost looks like? Maybe you've gotten so confused with trying to live a Christian life that you're so lost you don't even know it. Maybe that's the question. Do you realize that you really need Jesus? Many people are coming into churches and they believe that they are saved because they're good. They, they come to church. They, they've joined a church or, or, or they were baptized at one point in their life. Those things don't make you saved. As I said before, believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repenting of your sins and turning from those sins and loving a God and obeying his commandments will show that you love Jesus, will show that you're saved. If you've done those things and are obeying him, then you're saved. If you can look at your life and say, I love Jesus and I am obeying his commands, then you know you're saved. Faith and obedience produces fruit. That's all there is to it. Trust and obey. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. So much more come from it when it started coming out. And I thank you for for guiding me with your Holy Spirit, Father. But I ask that your spirit just agonize the person that's here tonight that's lost, then they know that they're lost after hearing your word. And maybe they would come tonight to Jesus. The invitation is simple tonight for you. If you're lost and you know you're lost and you need to be saved, come tonight. Give your life to Christ. Be obedient to him. Put your trust and your faith in him so that he can lead you to that promised land. Father, we thank you for... for 
Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for him because that's the only way to heaven. It's the only way we'll ever reach that land that has been promised. Father, for the Christian here who is struggling to be like Jesus, I just hope you increase their faith through this message tonight, that they will, they will step out and they will step up. They will bring their faith from that low-level meter up to a high-level meter so that their faith can be high, so their obedience will be high, Father. I pray that for all that are in here tonight that are saved. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Come if you will. The altars are open. If you need Jesus tonight, that's the invitation. I'm inviting you to come and give your life to him.